This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 16th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. As the government in Afghanistan falls to the Taliban, the people who helped the United States during its nearly 20-year war there appear to be left holding the bag. Their ability to get visas to escape as refugees, uncertain. So what should the U.S. do? Alex Narasta directs immigration studies at the Cato Institute. We spoke today. Historically, when the U.S. leaves a country in which it has been engaged in a war, uh, what does the U.S. do for those people? I know that in the late 1970s, the United States provided visas for Cambodian refugees in, in fairly large numbers and went a long way to get those people resettled in the United States. But in, in terms of the tens of thousands of Afghans who helped, were actively helping the United States in this war effort in Afghanistan, what do we know? So from 2001 to 2021, uh, July, the U.S. has admitted about 21,000 Afghan refugees. And in addition to that, about 76,000 who were translators or who worked for American forces otherwise and their family members. The estimates are there's about another 90,000 or so who are there who probably worked with us for at least a year or two who would be able to be eligible uh, to get out if the visa system functioned properly. That's probably a vast undercount. It's probably a couple hundred thousand more than that. Uh, The United States this time has been pretty bad at getting people out. Um, but to put it in perspective in Afghan and Vietnam, it wasn't until South Vietnam basically was on the brink of falling that the Ford administration got its act together and got those folks out. Some now would be the time historically when the United States steps in to help people leave, which is, you know, historically after, uh, the war has decisively been lost. The allied government has been almost totally destroyed And the people are now clamoring to leave at the airports or at ports. So now would be the time if we were to see the United States government to snap into action to save people's lives. Now is a time based on historical precedent when they would start to do so. And and it's it's hard to overstate the degree to which uh, these people in Afghanistan are at some particular risk after having spent years assisting the U.S. military. That's right. So many of these individuals have been uh, working with the U.S. military, U.S. administration, the government and Afghanistan, some of them for years. Fortunately, 76,000 or so of them have been able to get out over the years, but that's just a fraction of those who actually are eligible to get out, most of whom are still there, most of whom will be targeted by the Taliban, have been targeted by the Taliban in the recent past There have been uh, executions, there have been attacks uh, already against folks uh, over the last several months in Afghanistan. I would expect those to continue. I would also expect that a lot of these folks who are eligible for these visas are on their way on the roads right now to get out of the country, to go to Pakistan or a neighboring country, or trying to get a plane out of the airport, although the Afghan government, the, the Taliban, has shut down all the flights, and I don't think anybody really wants to fly in there anyway. So I would suspect that a large number of these people will leave in the coming months um, to years uh, through land routes, probably. So uh, for a lot of people who have uh, been attempting, especially and particularly in recent days, uh, Afghans who have been trying to uh, get access to some American 
uh, presumably through the State Department, uh, to get a special immigrant visa, uh, their emails have been bouncing uh, because they're, they, they've been the system has been overwhelmed and apparently the U.S. government has not been receiving a lot of those requests. Yes, apparently there was a limit on the inbox of the number of applications that could be received and stored in any one time. So that's been bouncing. But just to be frank, like that's not the biggest problem. I mean, prior to um, a few months ago, I mean, the average amount of time it took to process an SIV visa was 900 days. So the... (laughs) So the, the the mailbox failure that we that you just mentioned that we're talking about is sort of like a footnote uh, to all this shows what a mess this system is shows how the U.S. government really doesn't care about solving this problem at all but it's really not the big issue with the problem uh, with these visas with getting these people out it's that there's basically no way in a reasonable amount of time to get a lot of these folks out through a visa process that is operated under normal immigration rules. We're at the situation now, and this is something that I've been talking about to members uh, or to staffs in Congress and to folks in the administration, is that you have to plan for an emergency evacuation of hundreds of thousands of people by airplane to a place like Guam or to Fort Lee or to other forts in the United States to process these folks over here because it's too late to go through a normal immigration process. The Biden administration has started doing that a little bit, but um, too little, too late. So when you're an immigrant coming from a country where the U.S. has been engaged in hostilities, uh, and in particularly, in particular, people in Afghanistan who've helped the U.S. military, what kind of welcome can you expect or should you expect if you qualify for one of these visas? Well, if you qualify and apply and actually get accepted, then you'd be brought over very rapidly to the United States. You know, the problem, though, isn't getting accepted once you're in. It's sort of getting into the program, then waiting to get accepted, I guess, are, are, are the two major problems um, with this. So it's not like you're going to be you know, treated terribly once you get here. It's just that it's almost impossible to get approval to come here in the first place. So like it, it's basically a microcosm with the rest of the immigration system, but where the stakes are more dire. Um, the U.S. has had special immigrant visa categories before for some Vietnamese to come over who 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 helped uh, the United States during that war and for some Iraqis and now for Afghans. But the way the process has been set up, the way that the bureaucracy runs this situation, it's um, it, it's as if they don't want any to come over. I mean, it's just so difficult, so expensive, and it requires proving that you worked for the United States military for a certain period of time. And shockingly, the U.S. military has actually not kept good records of this. So in many cases, we don't actually have like pay stubs or records of contracts or things that have been signed or paid over to Afghans over the years. Uh, Those either were not kept at all or were destroyed. So it's, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think this was intentional. But if you were intentionally trying to leave and to lurch hundreds of thousands of people who have aided the U.S. forces over the years, it would be harder to come up with a scenario where it would seem like the U.S. government intentionally messed it up. Okay, so going forward, what are steps one through however many you want to list for the Biden administration to, in a sense, do right by the people who had assisted the U.S. military in this ill-fated war? I think there's a couple things to do. 
One would be to now start negotiating with the government of Afghanistan, which is the Taliban, to try to say we want to get some people out of here and to try to be able to fly flights in there to get them out. I think that's probably unlikely to succeed and is probably be used mainly as a way to distract them from what's really going on, which would be to basically tell all the Afghans who want to get out, who have some kind of relationship with U.S. forces, you know, make it to a neighboring country and we'll fly you out to Guam, uh, where the U.S. government will investigate you and process you from there. Uh, I would expect that to be several hundred thousand people. And I would expect the United States government to have many flights, either chartered flights or actual military flights staying by, standing by to help these people out. And I would say if you have any kind of valid claim, you should come with your families right now uh, to try to leave and get to Pakistan or another neighboring country. And from there, the United States government will make a deal with these countries to get people out. Uh, third, I think the U.S. government should be trying with uh, third countries. Uh, either Pakistan or other neighboring countries or European countries to try to come up with a deal um, to to house some number of uh, refugees from Afghanistan. Um, there's rumors of this happening right now with um, some of the Gulf countries. Uh, we should pursue that. Absolutely. Um, so that's, I think, the three things that they can do right now to really um, make a difference. And these are things that should have been done, I mean, years ago. Uh, they should have been done under the Obama administration, Bush administration, Trump administration, and the Biden administration. Uh, but it's only now, it's only when there's a crisis, do people really start to act. You've thrown out some big numbers of you know 200,000 plus uh, people who uh, might have legitimate claims and could uh, then be uh, moved and resettled. But what what kind of numbers are you talking about specifically? Where are they coming from? So I took a look at uh, estimates of the number of Afghans who've been employed. So that's uh, by the U.S. forces there. And it's up to a couple hundred thousand are basically the estimates from different organizations that have been trying to track this over the years. But that's a fraction of the people who would potentially become sort of refugees in total, who would not have any connection to American armed forces, but then who would want to flee a Taliban-run Afghanistan. So these are folks who would go also to neighboring countries. Uh, to give you some perspective, in the year 2000-2001, about 1% of Afghanistan's population left as refugees in that year on net. Um, now, about 20 years later, Afghanistan's population has doubled. If we saw a 1% exodus, that would be about 410,000 people over the course of the next year. Um, I think that's probably a conservative number because, um, you know, the 2000 to 2001 numbers are after like 25 years of war. So most people who've left have already left or who wanted to leave have already left. Now it could be, you know, anywhere, I think, between uh, one and five percent of the population. So we're talking about somewhere probably around 400,000 to about over two million people could be a reasonable expectation in the next year or two of uh, just trying in total to leave Afghanistan now that the Taliban have taken over. And where would they likely end up? Most current Afghan refugees who are outside of the country are in Iran and Pakistan. Um, I suspect that most of them will eventually end up in those places where a lot of their families already are. There are already connections uh, to these places. There are already established rules by these governments through which people can enter. Uh, some of them will try to make it to Europe as asylum seekers because there are a large number of Afghans living in Europe. And a handful will make it to other countries like the United States from there. 
Alex Narasta directs immigration studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.